Uh, evening, everyone, and thank you, Brian. Uh, many of you will know that I was actually planning to continue our Revealed series tonight. It's on the website. It was in WBC News. Uh, but knowing that Brian was going to be using Psalm 13 to frame our worship, I, I decided I would look at that this evening, so I hope that's okay. Five years ago, uh, we did a series called Deep Cries to Deep, which explored the practice of praying the Psalms. And, and on week one of that series, as I introduced it, I briefly, although only briefly, touched on Psalm 13. And so I want to take this opportunity tonight to revisit it, but, but also to remind all of us about the value and, and the discipline of using the Psalms on a daily and a regular basis. Uh, recently, I, I came across a, a new Bible reading app called Read Scripture, and I've been promoting it to others for a while now. It's really, really good. Uh, it's free. And essentially, it's a reading plan that takes you through the entire biblical narrative in less than a year. And so it is a challenge, and maybe for some it's, it seems overwhelming, although I would say that it kind of keeps pace with your reading as, as opposed to specific dates. So if you miss a few days, it picks up from where you left off rather than you having to play catch up. But there's a couple of unique features about this app. Uh, the first is that it includes short animated videos that introduce each Bible book and, and certain themes. I was going to show the, the video that introduces the Psalms tonight, but it's nine minutes long, so, so I decided not to do that. But what I particularly love about this reading plan is that every day, after you've read a few chapters of Scripture, you're then invited and encouraged to pray a psalm, which means that if you follow this plan, you will pray through the psalms over two times a year. And this rhythm, praying a psalm every day, captures the idea that the psalms have been the daily lifeblood of Christians for years and years. And yet, sadly, in many lives and circles today, the Psalms are seldom used, apart from the odd reference. And, and so this evening, and it's been so helpful in what Brian has done so far, but this evening, I'm really keen to restate or, or to reinstate the profile and importance of them being used in our individual and corporate prayer lives. What we have got at our fingertips is a collection of 150 prayers that are full of power, they're full of passion, horrendous misery, unrestrained jubilation, tender sensitivity, incredible hope. And the regular praying of them can be and is, according to many, genuinely transformative. Here, is what some have described as the most perfect prayer book that helps every one of us to pray even when we don't feel like it. The Psalms are both an encouragement to pray and a pattern of prayer. They're indispensable 
for this journey we're on. And so if they have dropped off your radar, then please use this evening as, as a kind of catalyst to re-engage. Now, as you know, there are different types of psalms. There are prayers of thanksgiving. There are psalms of praise. There are prayers of confession. But as Brian has said at the start, the one type that features the most are prayers of lament. There are 42 individual laments in the Psalms, 16 corporate laments. Psalm 13 is an individual lament. It's short, it's potent, it, it's punchy, it's straight from the heart. And part of the reason that there are so many laments is because that is often how we feel. That is often where so many people today find themselves. Which is why, as Tom Wright writes in his excellent book on praying the Psalms, that we should do our best to find ways to use the whole salt or all 150 Psalms. We should say or sing the puzzling and the disturbing bits along with the nice and easy ones. We tend to go for the Lord is my shepherd. Brilliant Psalm that it is. So many others, Psalm 139, Psalm 145 through to 150 Psalms of praise. But these kind of laments, we don't often use them. We don't often sing, as Brandon said, songs of lament with the sharp highs and lows of the Psalter writes, right, all there to express and embody the highs and lows of all human life or our own human lives. According to John Calvin, the Psalms are the mirror of the soul. And therefore, lament must be a major component of life. And it is. Life is tough. Life is hard. Life is messy. It's disappointing. It doesn't always go the way we want it to go. Things do happen. Rubbish happens. And therefore lament is, is not only understandable, it's absolutely essential. It's essential because it provides an opportunity in prayer to express your frustration. It gives voice to how you feel whenever it seems you're slowly disintegrating internally, your world is falling in on you, and to top it all, or maybe this is the key issue, to top it all, God seems distant. God seems a million plus miles away. He seems oblivious to your situation and your circumstances, and he appears to be silent. God is on mute. And as you read and as you pray the Psalms of lament, there is clearly this sense that people like David who wrote Psalm 13 went through difficult experiences. They wondered what was going on. They wondered where was God? Where is God? They went through what was subsequently described by medieval theologians as the dark night of the soul. The Puritans referred to these experiences as desertions, this feeling that God has forsaken me. 
But that phrase, the dark night of the soul, actually dates back to or comes from a Carmelite monk named John who lived in Spain in the 16th century. And he devoted his life to reforming the church, but his attempts to reform the church were heavily criticized, and he ended up in prison. And from that place of confinement, from that place of lost dreams, he wrote his famous work, The Dark Night of the Soul, which is an account of how God works to change us, not just through joy and through light, but through confusion and darkness and disappointment and loss. The dark night of the soul, as he described it, is not simply the experience of suffering, but it's the experience of suffering in what feels like the silence and the absence of God. In the dark night, our prayers feel like they reach no higher than the ceiling. In the dark night, the Bible just turns to ashes in our hands. In the dark night, words and books and songs that once spoke to our soul now just leave us cold. And throughout our Christian lives, there are times, and there will be times whenever we find ourselves in that place. But rather than throw the head up, pack it in, walk away, the Psalms of lament, what they are there for, they're there to encourage us to pray because that's what the Psalmists did. They went to God in their darkness. They went to God with their questions, in their distress, with their angst. And as you read and as you pray the Psalms of lament, you find words, you find an outlet, you find permission to be honest and real before God. And then from that place of integrity before God, you are encouraged and you're inspired to trust and to find hope even in the midst of the mess and the despair and the rubbish. And Psalm 13 is a lament of David who is experiencing the dark night of the soul. And I'll guarantee you that his words resonate. Or they will at some point with each and every one of us. We've all been here. We are here. We know someone who is right here, right now. And of course, and and this is an option, we can choose to be silent. We, We can refuse to talk. We can refuse to pray but it would seem there is little or no point suffering in silence. Because David, just like so many of the other psalmists and Job for that matter, fills the void with questions and appeals to God in prayer. And so as we have read, here's a slightly different version, still captures the same sense. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me, he prays, forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? And four times you come across that haunting phrase, how long? David appears to be at the end of his rope. There's raw emotion, and I I can't get it across, and Brian can't, none of us can get it across, but there was raw emotion, surely, as David prayed these words. I don't know how you picture David praying these words. I picture him praying it through gritted teeth. There may be tears. There may be clenched fists. But David clearly feels abandoned and overlooked, and he's not even sure there's a positive end in sight, because he's asking, are you going to forget about me forever? 
And that question, how long will you forget me? And then the, the part where he adds forever, that's not about God, David worrying that God has literally forgotten him, that God has somehow no longer got a mental recollection of who David is, that God is suffering from divine amnesia. This cry is more to do with God apparently not answering his prayers. How long, Lord, will it be before you answer me? Will it be forever? Have you ever been there? Are you there? You're praying. You've been praying for years. But in addition to the sense of isolation, there's inner turmoil. There's anguish in his soul. There's sorrow in his heart. This is affecting him at a deep, intense, emotional, spiritual level. David's at his wit's end. How long is this going to last, God? Is it ever going to let up? And to top it all, his, his enemy, whoever or whatever that is, is having a field day. And I don't believe for a moment that David's experience is unique. And there are times in our Christian lives whenever God seems distant. Whenever the peace that passes all understanding, that is not our immediate experience. Whenever there's a heaviness of heart, there's a sense of dislocation. And the someone or the something that is out to get us does appear to be having the upper hand. It does appear to be winning. It does appear to have our backs against the wall. But it's that phrase, how long, O oh Lord, that stands out, not just because it features four times, but because it reminds us that learning to wait and having to wait on God, for God, are part and parcel of this Christian life. It seems to be that it's those who wait on the Lord, who renew their strength. Time and time again in God's word, we're told, we're instructed, wait on God, wait for God, but we don't wait naturally for anything anymore. It's uncomfortable to wait. It's inconvenient to wait. We tend to want quick answers, immediate fixes. We want to know, is there a formula? Are there steps to take that's gonna speed up this process? Whatever that process is, and yet waiting in the midst of difficulties while we suffer is often what's involved. It's not only involved, what's involved, it's what's required. And the repeated cry of how long admits and recognizes, God would love you to speed this up. And yet his slowness, at least slowness from our perspective, is generally a key aspect of how he operates how he deals with us. Many of you will have heard of Joni Erickson Tata, who spent and has spent her adult life paralyzed in a wheelchair. And in recent years, she's also written about her struggle with cancer. But I was reading this week about how she sent the following words to Dallas Willard, and again, many of you will have heard of him or read his books. But whenever she heard about Dallas Willard's terminal illness, she, she sent him these words 
from a 19th century writer named Frederick Faber. It is a longish quote, but I do want to read it carefully. It's all going to be on the screen. It's going to be lots of words. It's a great quote. You want to take a picture of it in your phone, do it. Or ask me for a copy afterwards. But this is brilliant about waiting and about the perceived slowness of God. This is what she sent to Dallas Willard. In the spiritual life, God chooses to try our patience, first of all, by his slowness. He is slow. We are swift and precipitate to it. It is because we are, but for a time, he has been for eternity. There is something greatly overawing in the extreme slowness of God. Let it overshadow our souls, but let it not disquiet them. We must wait for God long, meekly, in the wind, in the rain, in the thunder, in the lightning, in the cold, and in the dark. Wait, and he will come. He never comes to those who do not wait. He does not go their road. When he comes, go with him, but go slowly. Fall a little behind. When he quickens his pace, be sure of it before you quicken yours. But when he slackens, slacken once more. And do not be slow only, but silent. Very silent. For he is God. And see that idea of being awed by the slowness of God. How big a challenge is that? How steep a learning curve is that? And in Psalm 13, we find a prayer, we find a person off prayer, a person in prayer who is struggling to wait. And so he prays and he screams and he shouts and he cries out, how long, God? And that's okay. It's okay. And what a prayer like this found in God's word does, it allows us and it encourages us to be real, to express how we feel, to ask questions, to ask direct questions, questions, realizing as Brian prayed right at the very start, God is big enough to take our questions. So the question is, what is your how long prayer at the moment? What are you waiting for? See, the thing is, we don't know what sparked this prayer in David's life. Many people have guessed but we can't be certain. We don't know the specific enemy David had in mind when he prayed this. We don't know his specific situation or frustration, but there was some reason why David cried out to God how long, some reason why he was struggling to wait. So what is your how long prayer right now? For healing? For change? For relief? for assurance, for peace, for answers, for relationship. 
What is your how long prayer at the moment? And Psalm 13 encourages, it gives us permission to ask the questions, to articulate frustration. But what we also discover is that can't and it mustn't stop there. It can't stop at the questioning. Because after the questioning, after the telling God how we feel, there is a recognition that we need God. David doesn't just tell God how he feels and then turns in another direction seeking answers. He doesn't go looking for solace and comfort or quick fixes and other things or other outlets. It says he cries to God. And so even though David has little or no idea what is going on or where God is or what God is doing, he nevertheless knows that God is the one and only place he must go to find support, to find perspective, to find a way forward. And so this prayer of lament, there is a very definite, clear cry to God and not against God. This is not an irreverent rant. This is not David voicing off to God. There is honesty, yes, no holes barred honesty, but it's honest to God praying. It's listen to me, my God, Lord, My God, there's humility, there's submission, there's reverence, and there's respect. And what the psalmist discovers as the psalm goes on and as the prayer goes on is that when he cries out to God, when he's honest to God with all his raw emotion and integrity, he somehow is able to find hope. He is able to articulate and know a trust in God. And so you come to verses five and six and it says, but I trust. In your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise because he has been good to me. And that trust doesn't come from looking at his present circumstances. They are still rubbish. This trust comes from recalling and affirming who God is and what God has done for him in the past. And as David finishes this prayer, as David finishes articulating his frustration and his angst and his questioning, he identifies and acknowledges just three things that I want to finish with. Three facts, three truths about his God that he has taken his prayers to. And the first is that he is a God of unfailing love. That is who you are. And that phrase is a direct reference or pointer to God's loyalty and enduring allegiance. That God's faithful love for David hasn't waned, it hasn't reduced, it hasn't been diluted in any way. It's a constant. And David knows that he isn't in this position He doesn't have his back up against the wall. He isn't going through these difficulties because God's love has changed. To borrow a New Testament idea, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus is what we can now affirm. And so yes, this kind of stuff, this kind of rubbish happens. It will happen. It always will happen. But God's love never fails. And therefore, it can be trusted to see us through, to hold us in. There's security in God. God, I trust in your unfailing love. Despite how David feels, he actually knows he can't be abandoned. And then secondly, he he is a God of salvation. 
And so as David prays, he knows, God, I know you can rescue. You do rescue. You can revive. You do revive. You can renew. You do renew. It is absolutely within your capabilities to save. And so his heart rejoices despite his present difficulties. And again, there is something here in this, in this like the New Testament idea of rejoicing and learning to be content in your circumstances. Not with them, but in them. And David firmly believes that God will save, God will deliver. Timing is anybody's guest, but salvation is inevitable because God, you're a God of salvation and therefore I can have confidence in you. I can have security in your unfailing love. I can have confidence in your salvation. And then thirdly and ultimately, David affirms, you know, God, you're good. And you've been good to me. And we're thinking about this this morning as well. You've been good to me. And so I'm going to sing. I'm going to offer songs of praise. And if although for many people here that may seem impossible, it may feel unnatural, undoable, but as David lifts his eyes, as he focuses on his God rather than his problems, he finds his singing voice. And therefore there's hope. There's the prospect of a new day. In how long? No idea. Could be days, could be weeks, could be months, could be years. Could be an entire lifetime. But it's not forever. And so I'm going to keep on praying, says David. And I'm going to keep on singing. And at that point, the prayer ends. It begins with a deep sigh. How long, God? In the middle, it includes a gentle prayer. Look on me. Answer me, Lord my God. And it ends with great joy. And if there ever was a psalm to pray during the dark night of the soul, this is it. If there is ever a psalm to pray when you've more questions than answers, this is it. If there's ever a psalm to pray when you're not sure God is there or that God even cares, this is it. And if you're here this evening and you're struggling to pray, and you're struggling to make sense of your current circumstances, can I please encourage you to take this lament and pray it every day this week and allow it to further inspire your dialogue with God. Allow it to provide you with a voice of lament and a voice of praise. And in addition, can I also encourage all of us to take the Psalter, to take the most perfect prayer group book we have and use it and pray it as a holy habit. Practice praying the Psalms as a daily discipline. Brian.